Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. We love aliens. And we're in. We're in. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. I'm going to start this episode off with a bang. You ready? So ready. Yesterday, I saw a man in his car <laughs> drinking coffee out of a home mug. Um, Like just a regular like mug? Like a regular mug. <laughs> In his car? In his car. And he was holding it in his left hand, which means that he had to get it out of whatever cup holder he has in it and then switch hands. Yeah. And then I was disturbed. It's 2022. Like, everyone's just doing their best, I feel. Yeah. It was very, like, post-pandemic. Like, this is who I am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? Could you see what the graphic on the mug was? Like, did it say world's best dad or something? No, I couldn't see it. It looked like it was might have been just like plain. No. <laughs> I know. On one side, it must have at least been like an insurance company or something that he stole it from. <laughs> like legal Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I have one that my mom gave me that's just from Lone Pal. <laughs> that's exactly what I was picturing. <laughs> like um, like a, an a, like a promo mug. Yeah, like it's like- advertising, <laughs> like a refrigerator magnet for a realtor, like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like one that you would get at like a medical conference yes. in like West Covina. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> maybe you hooked up with someone from like <laughs> from regional <laughs> sales. Wait, I love this. What is this like incestuous medical conference that Do you, you went not to? Daydream about like having a normal, a normal job. life. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, what would it be like to go to the office and be like, <laughs> Jan, and then like <laughs> go to lunch and then like leave. And then sometimes you have to go to conferences. <laughs> Mostly it's about conferences. I can't even imagine. When I worked for the asylum, um, I did have to go to like a distribu- like a distribution conference where they were trying to basically sell more Sharknado (laughs) and it was in a hotel in like Long Beach I want to (gasps) say and I had to set up the hotel room to like be Sharknado or whatever it was and It just like had a DV- like a Blu-ray on loop of like asylum tra- <laughs> that's trailers. That's still weirder than like a medical sale. Oh, that's conference. not normal, is what no, you're saying. No, <laughs> but it was a conference. Like I was in a hotel with other people who are all doing business, and I was like, "Yes, we're all here doing business." I know, but it was asylum business. Yeah, you're right. It so was B movie really business. Count. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking like you're talking like ink working in sales. sales. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I don't daydream about working in sales. 
If I worked in sales, I would definitely be in an MLM. Oh, you like would. it would never just be regular sales. I think I could do regular sales. I but would, I be, would be miserable. Yeah, no, I'd want to be in like a full on pyramid scheme. Mm. But again, that's not normal. Uh, that is won't it get you into. That will not get you into a Best Western in Altadena. You don't know where you finally get to see David <laughs> from the Long Beach branch. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, welcome to Mystery Welcome TV. to Mystery TV, the podcast about mysteries and not about sales. <laughs> the podcast where we wish our lives were normal. Mm, but only like 1% of the time. After this story, I don't think you're going to want that. Is this a... Okay. I'm really excited. What's the genre? I know I'm about to hear it, but I do like to have a little prep. Mm, this one actually is in... Like, it's a Venn diagram of genres. I'm going to say this is a period piece. Does that count as a genre? Yeah, I think when you asked me before, I said it's 50s. It's a 50s mystery. So twice now you've not given me any good information. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to give too much away. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. The first sentence is going to give it away. Okay. This is the story of Dorothy Martin and the Seekers, otherwise known as The Christmas the Aliens Didn't Come. My sources for this episode are a book called When Prophecy Fails by Henry Riken, Leon Festinger, and Stanley Schachter, and an article called The Christmas the Aliens Didn't Come by Julie Beck. Is this about a cult? Could be. I'm very excited. One day in September of 1954, the back page of a Chicago newspaper bore the headline, Prophecy from Planet. Clarion call to city. Flee that flood. It'll swamp us on December 21st, Outer Space tells Suburbanite. Once once more. (laughs) Prophecy from Planet. Clarion call to city. Flee that flood. It'll swamp us on December 21st, Outer Space tells Suburbanite. Uh, Okay. The prophecy in the newspaper came from Dorothy Martin a 54-year-old housewife living in the Chicago suburbs. Dorothy was your average American housewife. Her husband worked at a distributing company. Dorothy stayed home. I bet he went to a lot of conferences. (laughs) When Dorothy was younger, she'd lived in New York, and she had explored different spiritualities, including theosophy, which you may remember is the religion started by Helena Blavatsky and was the mother religion that launched the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Mm Mm-hmm. Dorothy also explored the I Am movement, which was another offshoot of theosophy, and Dianetics. Uh Uh-oh. Which, for the uninitiated, is Scientology. We don't know a lot about her life, but we do know that at some point, her father died and it was a very difficult loss. One day in 1953, while she was home alone in Oak Park, Illinois, Dorothy started to drift off. She suddenly lost feeling in her arm and a weird sensation came over her. She picked up a pen and put it in her numb hand. Then her hand began to write. When it was done, it revealed a channeled message from Dorothy's dead father. It instructed her mother to plant flowers in the spring. Dorothy went and told her mother, who didn't believe her. She was like, please don't bring me any more creepy messages. But that's pretty benign as messages go. Sure. I think it just, you know, it was creepy because it came from a dead person. I know, but he could have said something way scarier. For sure. He just gave her, like, normal advice that people do already. (laughs) 
he could have been like, um, right means go, left is break. And she was like, don't send me creepy <laughs> According to our source for this episode, her mother, quote, ordered her to stop such nonsense or at least to stop inflicting it upon her living parent. <laughs> this, um, when prophecy fails is so good. It's written... It's like just full of dry humor and I am obsessed with it. I love it. I quoted it a lot in here because it's very funny. But this experience had awakened something in Dorothy. She learned that she could channel messages from her father. Every day she would sit and try to receive more messages. As she sat for messages, she became aware that other beings were trying to speak through her. <gasps> this is a quote. It occurred to me that if my father could use my hand, higher forces could use my hand. I have always been interested in my fellow men, and I have always wanted to be of service to mankind. I don't mind telling you I prayed very diligently that I would not fall into the wrong hands. Then she started... But she she already was, because she studied Dianetics. <laughs> <laughs> but no one from Scientology like was coming through the ether to give her messages yet. That's true. Hubby was still alive. And she like didn't stay in Scientology. Oh, she got out before you... Couldn't get out. She just like read Dianetics. Uh oh. Yeah. I've read the Bible. Sure. That doesn't, yeah. Am you're I not in the wrong. <laughs> you're not obligated to do it. They, my church did have pretzel Sundays though. What the That's, fuck is pretzel Sundays? Oh my God, where we would go to church and instead of doing church, we would make pretzels <laughs> from scratch. That sounds great. It was amazing. Maybe I don't know what church is. No, that I don't think that's what church is. <laughs> My parents would make me go, and I would just be there like, is it a fucking pretzel Sunday yet? <laughs> that seems wild because Sunday is kind of like their big day. That's like the headliner day. So I'm surprised that they would do like a an off-brand activity on their big day, like pretzel Saturday maybe. I think they may have tied it in by being like, bread is God. Like, <laughs> Sure, 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 yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I also think and it just the Lord said, let it be crispy on the outside <laughs> chewy and on chewy the on the inside. I think they used it as like like a a membership retainment tactic. <laughs> it certainly got me to stay. I thought you were going to say it was like um, a, a metaphor, like for what your soul is like before you meet God or something. <laughs> no, they and weren't. Then... No. <laughs> okay. They just, it was face value. It was just pretzel it day. It was just pretzel day. Great. And now the smell of pretzel dough makes me think of Jesus. <laughs> Then Dorothy started receiving channeled messages from a being known as Elder Brother. Yes. This is from the book. Elder Brother informed her that her father was in considerable need of spiritual instruction in order that he might advance to higher levels. Between them, Dorothy and the Elder Brother attempted to provide such instruction, but her father proved a recalcitrant pupil, overly <laughs> concerned with the earthly affairs of those he had left behind. <laughs> Basically, Elder Brother gave up and was like, listen, your dad... He's lost. <laughs> he's too worried about what's going on here on Earth. He's too worried about the flowers. We need to focus on your spiritual growth. I love that. In April of 1954, she started receiving messages from a being called Sananda. Sananda. I think it's pronounced Zendaya. <laughs> Sananda was the alien incarnation of Jesus. Yes. He lived on the planet Clarion. Yes. Oh my God. I've wanted to say this out loud. For so long. After I did the TikTok about the cult behind Sleepy Time Tea, mm -hmm. in which I said, 
like, yeah, they believed in these beings that like came from the sky and like lived on planets in outer space and like came down to help everyone. Everyone was like, you're describing angels. And I was like, no, first of all, I don't believe in angels. If anything, I believe in aliens. Like what I'm what I'm describing is aliens, something that lives on another planet and comes to Earth. Yeah, I think traditionally angels live on clouds. Right. right? <laughs> they like live in heaven or something. They definitely don't live on like the planet Clarion. No. So. And I should know because I went to Pretzel Church. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone knows where angels live, it's you. It's me. So anyway, those were definitely aliens, you guys. <laughs> they just happened to be named like what the the angels were named. But then I guess also if you're Mormon, like you do believe. But I don't know that if planets Mormons, are involved, right? Yeah, but for Mormonism, and don't correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty sure in Mormonism, you get a planet when you die. I don't yes, know if angels also get Moroni planets. didn't like come from a planet, you don't think? I don't think he was like, I'm here on holiday from Clarion. <laughs> on Easter morning, she received the following message. I am always with you. The cares of the day cannot touch you. We will teach them that seek and are ready to follow in the light. I will take care of the details. Trust in us. Be patient and learn. For we are there preparing the work for you as a conoiter. That is an earthly liaison duty before I come. That will be soon. You were directed to tell your experiences of my coming to you, for it prepares the way in their hearts. I will come again to teach each of you. They that have told you they do not believe shall see us when the time is right. This is the first time she receives a message that says, like, you should share this with other people. Interesting. I always think, like, it's harder for me to not believe people when the things that they come up with are like so loony <laughs> like I feel like maybe this if this woman is creative enough to be like I spoke to someone named like elder brother is such good writing mm -hmm. that I kind of feel like it has to be real I will tell you that it from everything I've read it seems that Dorothy at the very least tr was a true believer like she truly believed she was channeling these messages yeah then she received this message which I've edited for length you're going to love this. What can you do for us? Well, you can go tell the world that we have at last contacted the Earth planet with the waves of ether that have become tactable by the bombs your scientists have been exploding. <gasps> now that the bombs have broken the barrier, we can break through. That is what your scientists call the sonic barrier. This is the first time that a newly post-nuclear frame of reference comes into view. So, like, it's 1954. Like, this is a post-nuclear world. No one, like, really knows what the implications of that are. Well, we all know that 90, 1954 is when Eisenhower sold us to the Greys for <laughs> fiber optics. Obviously. So it makes sense. And Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time that she says, and I love this, that basically the aliens said, like, now that you've, like, created nuclear bombs... You broke the barrier and now we can come through to you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of alien discourse is basically like the closer we get to self-destruction, yes. the more they just, can reach out. Just wait. <gasps> this is cool because it really like ties into a lot of alien lore. Well, and this is what's crazy is like she was one of the first people to yeah, do it. Like there was she couldn't <laughs> have known because it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> secretly. Yeah. Like she wasn't with Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
At this time, her messages started urging her to communicate with a few, quote, level-headed friends and to let them see what she was doing so that they would believe her. She did tell her husband, and the book tells us, a man of infinite patience, gentleness, and tolerance, amounting almost to self-abasement. He never believed that his wife could communicate with other worlds, yet he never actively opposed her activities or sought to dissuade her from writing. He simply went about his ordinary duties in the distributing company where he was a traffic manager and did not allow the unusual events in his home to disturb in the slightest his daily routine. Ladies, uh, <laughs> if he wanted to... <laughs> If he wanted to put up with your crazy alien cult, he would. This is like, sometimes I think like, do we need someone who's going to like lean in and indulge our bananas (laughs) conspiracy theories? Or do we need someone who's going to be like, that's really interesting. Like, have a good day at work. (laughs) He does come back later in the best way. Dorothy called these beings that communicated with her the guardians. I love that. It's great. We don't know a lot about the early phase when she first started sharing with other people. Um, We know that she did share with a few people and she was discouraged by their reactions. And then she started meeting with a small group of other housewives who would get together to discuss things like Dianetics, Metaphysics, Scientology, and the occult. How do we Yes, I'm already (laughs) writing a show about that. Don't even ask. Yes. It's like Mad Men, but it's just housewives Mm -hmm. figuring out the occult. Yes. Around this time, Dorothy attended a lecture about flying saucers given by a supposed expert on the subject. And at this lecture, she showed him some of her writings. He loved it, obviously, (laughs) and apparently went off and talked about her work to Dr. Charles Lawhead, who was a staff member at Michigan State University. He looks like a doctor version of Biff from Back to the Future. (laughs) I love it. Dorothy kind of looks like the painting of Whistler's mother. I would like to see. Oh, my God. I'll post it on the Instagram, but is that not exactly what they look like? Oh, I am. That couldn't be more spot on. (laughs) Thank you. Whistler's mother and Biff, (laughs) the doctor. Dr. Biff. That's amazing. I'm, this is a skill I'm honing. So Charles's story is that he and his wife, Lily, had been medical missionaries in Egypt for a Protestant church. While they were living in Egypt, Lily started having nightmares and basically intrusive thoughts about stabbings, beheadings, getting cut. And she started to be like terrified of sharp objects and she basically had a meltdown. She even asked that her husband's tools be kept like stashed away because they terrified, like the sight of them terrified her. When nothing seemed to help ease her anxieties, they specify not even prayer. Oh, Charles and Lily. Not even pretzel. Not even pretzel. Jesus could (laughs) absolve her of this. I did make a pretzel in the shape of Jesus. Anxiety. I would like to see a picture of that, please. I don't have one. Charles and Lily began researching other religions and the occult. They read about Hinduism, the Apocrypha, Theosophy, Rosicrucianism, New Thought, and the I Am movement. And this was how they came to believe in, essentially, the Ascended Masters, which we discussed in our Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn episode. So they were kind of already primed to love this. Yeah. When they came back to the U.S., Charles took a job as student health service staff at Michigan State University, and they continued to attend a local Protestant church. 
And this is where Charles put together a little group of college students called the Seekers. Yes. I have alternatively heard them called the Brotherhood of the Seven Rays, but I can't find any information about what that comes from. They would meet weekly to discuss morality and philosophy in the church. And then at some point, Charles introduced the topic of flying saucers. He had become very interested in UFOs and even went to Southern California to meet a man who had recently published a book about his alleged encounter with aliens. Who? Everyone in the book uh, is, their name is a pseudonym. And so I was able, like, if you do the research, you can find out who the main people are. But the person in the book just has like a pseudonym. Oh, we can't Google like 1950s UFO books, Southern California. We could try. (laughs) (laughs) When he came back, he told his wife, yo, aliens are real. And she was like, nice. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny because I watched her read that verbatim (laughs) off a piece of paper and then very confidently flip it upside down (laughs) and just place it on the stack. (laughs) I I know you wrote it. (laughs) It's also, (laughs) there's no capital. No, it's all lowercase. When he came back, he told his wife, yo, aliens are real. (laughs) She was like, nice. If someone came up to me and was like, yo, aliens are real, I'd be like, nice. Nice. (laughs) Around this time, Charles heard about Dorothy from the flying saucer expert. So he wrote her a letter. She got the letter. She read it. She was like, hmm. Then she received a message from Sananda that said, go to Michigan. There is a child there to whom I am trying to get through with light. Okay. So she was like, okay. And she went. When she met Charles and Lily, she was like, oh, my God, Lily must be the child. And Lily was like, oh, my God, I am the child. They've been trying to get through to me. And my unreceptivity, her word, not mine, is the reason why I had a, quote, unquote, nervous collapse in Egypt. But Lily is an adult. Yes. But we're all God's children. Not me. She's like a child of the the light. (laughs) Don't speak for me. I am God's God's rebellious adult. (laughs) I'm God's adult stepchild. (laughs) I want to be the rebellious teen who's like, you're not my real dad. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, must have been in such a mood when I wrote this because I wrote, Dorothy was like, I can channel alien beings. And Charles was like, perf. (laughs) I'm just going to corroborate this. She was like, I can channel alien beings. No punctuation. (laughs) And Charles was like, per. (laughs) So they quickly developed a friendship. And he was like, you should come talk to the Seekers, my little church group. And she was reluctant, like, let it be known. Um, But he encouraged her. And so she did. I love Dorothy because she definitely wasn't like trying to start a cult. She She just fell into it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) During this time, Dorothy received the message that the Guardians are actually teachers in a school of the universe called the Lasolo. And they're trying to teach Dorothy and other humans the way of the light. See, you don't just come up with that. Yeah, I know. She like, right? She like this was like, where was this coming from? Yeah. And they said that they were trying to prepare humans for certain changes that are coming. They said... We see and know that you struggle in darkness and want to bring real light, for yours is the only planet that has war and hatred. We feel no sadness, but are interested in the progress of the people of your Earth. Why? 
We are all brothers. Need I tell you more? Why? We're nosy bitches. (laughs) (laughs) They do say in the book that, like, a lot of these things were, like, coming out of other writings at the time. Like, other UFO people basically were, like, kind of moving in this direction. I still feel like Dorothy was a visionary. But that is the first hint that we get about things that are changing, like upcoming. Later in April 1954, Dorothy received a message that said that there were saucers over West Virginia and that they were making a list of all the people who make weapons and profit from war and that they're going to land and make contact with the people of Earth in May. And then it said, or it might be June. The first dark prophecy came on May 23rd. And the lists hadn't arrived yet. They had not. Okay. So it's definitely a June. 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 Did June, they update June, anybody June. or they're just. No, no, no. Okay. But that's funny that you say that because that question will come up quite a bit <laughs> as we progress. So they're like, can we just get a quick update yes. by EOD? ETA? ETA question mark? They just sent like a text that said. <laughs> and they're like, OMW. <laughs> they haven't gotten out of the shower yet. On my way from like 58,000 light yeah. years away. <laughs> you guys, we told her we'd be there in a month. We're still 58 <laughs> years away. On May 23rd, Sananda Alien Jesus said, We are planning to come in great numbers in the weeks ahead. As the war preparations are being formulated, certain earth dwellers will be gathered up and relieved of the experiences of the Holocaust of the coming events. Okay. I have questions, but I I can't. They're not words yet. She continued to receive more messages, none of which explained what the quote unquote Holocaust of the coming events would be. On the morning of July 23rd, she received a message that a spaceship would be landing at a nearby military airbase. So now it's past June and they're not here yet. Yes. Is she going to get stood up? Just wait. They said that they would be landing at the airbase on August 1st. Dorothy planned to go down there, but she didn't really tell anybody. She said, I didn't want to start a traffic jam by telling anybody that there was going to be a landing (laughs) at Lions Field on August the 1st because I knew that if all the saucer enthusiasts got on the highway to see the saucers, there'd be a jam. So I wasn't going to say anything about it. (laughs) It's very like Carmageddon where they're like, stay (laughs) off the roads. (laughs) I just love this like polite 50s etiquette that was like, well, the aliens were coming, but I knew if I told everyone there'd be a traffic jam and I didn't want to inconvenience anyone, so I didn't say anything. But Charles and Lily were in town visiting that weekend. So the three of them and a few other acquaintances who Charles and Lily were like, you got to come see the saucers, (laughs) went down to Lion's Field. No saucers appeared, but suddenly, as if from thin air, a strange man appeared. One of the other women said, be careful, that man's crazy. (laughs) But Dorothy... Was he doing anything? No. <laughs> he was not. He was just walking toward them in an open field. You know what? That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. What was he wearing? I think they're going to tell us. Maybe. In my head, as of now, it's a suit. Could be. But Dorothy felt a strange sense of curiosity and sympathy for him. She got out a sandwich and a cold drink and offered them to him, but he said no. I couldn't imagine anybody that time of day on a lonely highway not wanting a cold drink. <laughs> I asked him again, but he said, no, thank you. I looked at his eyes, eyes that looked through my soul, and the words sent electric currents to my feet. Yet I wasn't on the beam. That's a thing that they say. Like, it's when they're, like, connecting to the Guardians. They say they're on the beam. 
Oh, I thought you meant like in the 50s. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I think it's a cult thing. Oh, no, no. That's just a cult thing. <laughs> I like that, though. Me too. She said, as we stood there looking in the sky for saucers, he would look up and then he would look at us, at me especially. After I had offered him food, he turned and walked away. I felt very sad. I didn't know why at the time. I thought, what can I give him to eat? What else have I got that we can give him? I turned to my car to get a slice of watermelon, which was about 20 feet away. As I reached it, I looked back and he was gone. Just gone. He was no place to be seen. And I felt I became, oh, I can't tell you. There's no (laughs) word for it. I knew something was going on that I didn't understand. I knew I was close to something. Is this the Orson Welles show? No saucers came. Everyone went home. But on August 2nd, she received this message. Wait, did the other people she was with see? Were they watching him when he disappeared? Well, I guess not. They all had to collectively get the watermelon? I guess they all just missed it. Well, they were also literally looking at the sky with, like, binoculars. Oh. I feel like one of them should have had an eye on him at all times. Probably a good idea. On August 2nd, she received this message. It was I, Sananda, who (gasps) appeared on the roadside in the guise of the Sice. Sice is a word. So a lot of these messages she would get have lingo that like Dorothy and the Seekers didn't understand because it came from space. But then the meaning would become clear through context and it became like a cool language that they only they knew. And Sice is a word that had been transmitted to her once before in a story of the Sice. And it's the Guardian's term for one who comes in disguise or one whose true identity is unknown. So she got a message that was like, it was I, Sananda, who came in the guise of the size. That's so cool. And again, what is she coming? Is she coming up with all this lingo? Right. After Dorothy offered Jesus a sandwich, she and her disciples began to believe (laughs) even more strongly in her abilities. What was happening when you wrote this? (laughs) Dorothy started visiting Michigan more often to visit the Loftheads. And according to When Prophecy Fails, her conversations with the Lothheads seem to have skewed her beliefs toward a more religious tilt. Hmm. And her writings started to include more about the nature of heaven, the crucifixion of Jesus, the power and glory of God, and the relationship between the God of Earth and the Creator. Basically, one of her messages explained that eons ago, on the planet Car, there were two sides— the scientists who were led by Lucifer, and the people who followed the light, who followed God and Christ. The scientists invented, basically, atom bombs, and blew the planet car to smithereens. Tell me if this fucking sounds familiar. You're about to lose your shit right now. This is a quote. The disappearance of car... It's 1954. The disappearance of car as an integrated mass produced enormous disturbances in the balance of the omniverse. And nearly caused complete chaos. It's almost as if it someone sensed a great disturbance in the force, <laughs> as if millions of voices cried out and were suddenly silenced. Literally, the plant, the fucking, they blew up the planet, and blowing it up produced disturbances in the balance of the omniverse. <laughs> like, did she just invent the fucking force? I think so, and I'm wondering if maybe Star Wars was stolen from this. It's very possible. I feel. Because that, come on, literally blew up a planet and it caused a fucking disturbance in the force. Well, metaphysically, 
Yeah, but it's, it's not a bananas concept. Sure. But this is Dorothy from Oak Park, Illinois. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is she's not her husband is a traffic guy at the distributing company. Aww. Like, I don't think I don't know. Anyway, I just love it. So in the story, the forces of light went to Clarion and also a couple other planets and Lucifer's troops came to Earth. And then the cycle began anew and it now threatens to repeat itself because and the scientists have invented nuclear bombs and Lucifer has been leading them toward creating weapons of mass destruction. I hate that. And then came the first doomsday prophecy, <sighs> the prophecy of the flood. No, they did that already. In August. There's no original IP anymore. Yeah, it's true. In August, Sananda gave Dorothy three messages, which amounted to a prophecy of a great cataclysm, wherein the U.S. would break in half, an uprising of the Atlantic bottom would submerge the land of the Atlantic seaboard. That's a quote. New mountains would be created by the land tilting. Egypt would be made into a fertile valley. England, France, and Russia would sink to the bottom of the ocean and become one great sea. Portugal would be fine. Just kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> Italy, fine. Fine. <laughs> Charles Law had printed 50 copies of a letter that he wrote about this cataclysm, and he sent it out to all the newspapers. The date of the cataclysm, according to the letter, would be December 20th. But we can't trust that because they said June, and then they didn't even show up in August. Just you wait. I also wrote, like, yeah, the idea of the rapture wasn't new, but to me, it's like you send kids to pretzel church every week and tell them <laughs> that they're going to get raptured. And like, you know, you can understand where this comes from. But to me, it's actually like 150 percent more likely that aliens are going to come than Jesus classic. Like he left. He's not coming back. Babe. Not. Why would you? If he wanted to, he Maybe would. If he wanted to, he would, you guys. <laughs> and so the era of spreading the word had begun. But unfortunately, the initial move to go public was short-lived because, quote, apparently not even one of the more than 50 recipients published the announcement or requested further information. Oh, So Charles Lawhead put out a second, much shorter release with his name on it, Dr. Charles Lawhead, which consisted, quote, of a single-page synopsis of a cosmic play in which we are all actors on the world stage and we are also the audience and know not the plot. And this proclaimed the date of the event as December 21st. It was that letter that led to the story being printed in the newspaper in September. And it was that article that caught the attention of University of Minnesota social psychologist Leon Festinger. And that's how Leon Festinger decided that he and his psychologist colleagues had to infiltrate the Seekers. Mm. And that's where we will pick back up after the break. This is so good. I Fun. love that he pulled a little bit of Hamlet. Yeah, oh, me no. too. It was um, Macbeth. Strutting and fretting across the stage sounds and fear signifying nothing. I have majored in Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, All the World's a Stage is Jacquees from... Is it All the World's a Stage and All the Men and Women Merely, merely players? players in it? Yeah, it, it's As You Like It. No, but I'm thinking of... It's Jacquees. What am I... I'm thinking of sound and fury signifying nothing. Yeah. Is that that same speech? No. It is Act 5 of Macbeth. Yes. It's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps forth in this petty pace from mm -hmm. day to day. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be right back. Oh my God, I can't wait. After these messages. Messages. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to Soothing Existential Nighttime Radio. Tonight, we go live to our TimeCam traffic copter. Thank you. For those of you in the future-bound lanes of the Lincoln Tunnel toward Dimension 119F, expect some delays. Quantum physicists are doing repairs and the bottleneck backs up all the way to 900 AD. Back to you in the studio. We're receiving reports of graviton radiation on Intertime 405 that could delay your evening or morning or afternoon commute tomorrow or yesterday. When we last left our heroes, <laughs> a group of psychologists planned to infiltrate Dorothy's group. But the psychologists weren't the only ones to turn up at Dorothy's door after the newspaper announcement. Dorothy recounted a day after the publishing of the prophecy when two men showed up at her door. From the book, the spokesman for the pair appeared to be a perfectly ordinary human being. They always do. According to Dorothy's subsequent account of the interview, while his companion had a strange appearance and furthermore uttered not a single word during the entire visit. What was his opinion on pens? <laughs> when she inquired their identity, the spokesman replied, I am of this planet, but he is not. And Dorothy could not obtain any more information after that. Although the discussion lasted at least half an hour, the burden of the visitor's message was simple. Dorothy was not to publish or publicize her messages any further. <sighs> Instead, she was to seal the books in her possession and wait for further orders, which presumably would come from outer space. No further authority or reason for this command was given than that the time is not right now. Having conveyed their message, the two men left. <gasps> what were they wearing? Were they not wearing black, you think? They must have been. Must have been. Must not have known I'm what a pen was. I'm surprised they weren't like, we're just reporters from, <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. the Tribune. Yeah, right? Whatever the result of that meeting was, Dorothy did, in fact, put her plans to publish a book on hold because she, at the time, was planning to publish all of her writings. Listen, if a man in black ever approaches me, I will absolutely do whatever they tell me. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, scream. <laughs> this is not an invitation to approach me in a suit and see what you can get me yeah. to do. I know the difference yeah. between a man in black and an emu with a bowl cut. <laughs> I know the difference. I hope. There's a difference between... The men in black and a person in black. Yeah. And an emo with a bulk <laughs> I know. It was one just of standing them. there. It wasn't saying any words. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it had a tenuous grasp on the English language. <laughs> it appeared to have never seen a pen before. <laughs> If you're interested in hearing more about an emo with a bulk go back and listen to our Mothman episode. Mm -hmm. Where we finally figured out what the men in black and the Mothman are. Yeah, I think it, that was our first ever mystery solved. Yeah. <laughs> when the psychologists showed up in October of 1954, they were cautiously welcomed into the group. Dorothy was open about her beliefs, but almost secretive about the cataclysm prophecy and what her plans were regarding the cataclysm. She made no effort to convert the new members and simply expressed that part of the message was not to panic. When she was asked if they could come back to the group again or call her, she said, My latch string is always out. I have been told that my door is to be always open to those who are ready. I have a question. Mm -hmm. 
What's a latch string? <laughs> I think it's like the string you pull on like a gate that like unlatches it. Oh, and I guess out means it would be on like the side of the fence. I made that up, so that might not be what it is. I but don't I think know. It, it sounds is. right. Yes, the book strongly makes the point that oh, all of these sources make the point that Dorothy didn't proselytize at all. Um, if anyone did, Charles and Lily did. But Dorothy was always just kind of like, yep, I talked to aliens. Take it or leave it. And Charles and Lily were the ones who kind of took it in the pretzel church direction totally. anyway. Totally. So. Yes, correct. At that meeting, Lily was very avid about telling the psychologists about the group's belief and told them that the group's plan was to go to the Allegheny Mountains before the flood. In the mountains, they would establish a community of believers who would survive the flood and live there until Christmas of next year, at which point the aliens would come pick them up and take them to Clarion. I have a question. Mm -hmm. They originally said they changed it to the 21st of December, Mm -hmm. right? Isn't that the solstice? Mm -hmm. Okay. They also, I didn't write this down, but somewhere in there, they said, like, it's not because it's the solstice. (laughs) They were like, the aliens chose it. I wanted to go. We didn't pick it. I wanted to go on our first date on Saturday. I didn't realize it was Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) On the planet Clarion, the believers would be spiritually indoctrinated and prepared to return to a cleansed earth to repopulate it with good people who, quote unquote, walked in the light. This sounds very much like Charles and Lily. It doesn't sound that much like Dorothy. It's very flood myth. Mm -hmm. At this point, Dorothy had maybe a dozen followers in total. And when asked about other believers, she told the psychologists, I have very few friends. (laughs) My heart. That's so sad. Dorothy's attitude was that those who were ready would be sent. Their job was basically to sound the alarm about the flood and people who were ready to seek spiritual inquiry would find them. At some point in November, school children started knocking on Dorothy's door and asking about the aliens. She, star- she shared some information with them and apparently developed a sizable following at the school until a special PTA meeting was held to decide what to do about it. <laughs> the parents called the police, who basically told her to stop doing it or else she'd be brought before a psychiatric board. Around the same time, Charles Lawhead was dismissed from his job at the college. Some parents and students had complained that he was using his position to teach unorthodox religious beliefs. When he told the Seekers about this a week later, his position seemed to be that it was all part of the Guardian's plan. In the next meeting, Dorothy and Charles both seemed to be under the impression that that night the group was going to receive orders from Sananda. This is a quote. Neither apparently had any idea what the orders might be or in what form or through what messenger they might be transmitted. There was a special visitor that came that night. His name was Clyde Wilton, or that was his pseudonym. And he was a doctor of natural sciences who had flown 500 miles to attend the meeting. Mm. He was also a student of the occult. So when he walked in, Dorothy asked him to lead the meeting. And he was like, I'm not ready. It's my first day. And she was like, no, you are ready. With nine expectant gazes transfixing him, the observer fought for time. Let us meditate, he (laughs) ad-libbed and bowed his head in silence. (laughs) After a few minutes of silence, he asked Dorothy to say a few words. She stated simply that the group had been called together for a special purpose, namely the receipt of orders. She asked the observer if he had anything to add to that, but he had nothing. So the meeting returned to silent meditation as the tension mounted. (laughs) Then about after 20 minutes of that, one member of the group in the book, her pseudonym is Bertha, blurted out, I got the words, I got the words. And then she channeled a message, but it was just the first commandment. Oh my God. She was just like, thou shalt... um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And everyone was like, yay. (laughs) After that, and a few more words that didn't mean anything, the group took a break on orders from Sananda. Sananda was like, take a coffee break. 
Then who Berth- channeled that? Dorothy. Oh. Then Bertha announced that she would try again. She attempted to channel more. It didn't really work. She After- went and tried to memorize the other commandments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After flailing for a few hours around midnight, she dejectedly told Dorothy per- that perhaps she shouldn't try to channel anymore for the night. To which Dorothy said, This is just the beginning. You haven't seen anything yet. If you think the evening is over, you're mistaken. We don't know what this is all about, but I have the feeling they want us to go ahead. They're doing this for a purpose. If anybody thinks he's going to get any sleep tonight, he's got another thing coming. There isn't time for sleep. They've got work for us to do. Doing what? They're not doing anything. They're channeling messages. No, they're not. They're about to be. Because she's like, they're doing this for a reason, but so far, literally nothing has happened. Just wait. You have to have faith. Because you got to have faith, faith. Around 2 a.m., Charles quietly told Dorothy that he thought Bertha was off the beam, at which point Dorothy told him that this was the Guardian's plan and she wasn't going to break from it. I'm going to agree with him. I think Bertha's off the beam. A moment or two later, Bertha channeled the message that someone was trying to break from the Guardian's plan and warned against it. This <laughs> she is a quote. just overheard it. Dorothy nodded and smiled wisely at this admonition while Dr. Lawhead appeared to accept the rebuke ruefully. Ugh. Literally, she, he was like, listen, I think Bertha is off the beam. And then Dorothy was like, we're not going to break from the Guardian's me- message. And then Bertha was like, thou shalt not break from my message. And Dorothy was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no orders came. The meeting ended around 8 a.m., but Bertha announced that Sananda was calling a follow-up meeting that night. Oh, my God. In the book, they point out that they later learned that Bertha's husband, who didn't approve of her occult leanings, worked the swing shift and was at work after 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> When Bertha came back that night, she had a newfound air of confidence. She sat down on the couch and she began channeling. It became clear over the course of the night that the voice coming through her was not the voice of Sananda, but apparently was that of God himself. Bertha lectured about morality and inner knowing, and God then announced that there would be another meeting the following night, at which point Clyde protested that he had already been away from his family for two days and had taken two days off work. So he asked that people from out of town be allowed to meditate at home and that recordings of the lessons be sent to them for study. According to the book, quote, the creator promptly and flatly vetoed the plan. (laughs) So then after Clyde argued with God for a little bit, Clyde suggested that instead there just be three meetings next weekend and God agreed. (laughs) I love that God rescheduled. Me too. (laughs) Listen, God is benevolent. He's flexible. He's flexible. I just so, I mean, I just, I love that Bertha was like, Oh, I'm not Sananda. I'm actually God himself. Like, one up, Dorothy. <laughs> and you know she spent that whole day being like, okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> she literally I'll was show like, them. <laughs> yeah, she literally was like sitting around planning it for sure. At the following meeting, Charles's dismissal from his job was apparently catching up to him because he burned incriminating documents from the lessons and he instructed the students to dispose of any extra copies of the lessons that they had. Also, I didn't write about this, but they were making recordings of some of these meetings And he basically was like, we got to hide those or get rid of them. He announced that this would be the last formal meeting of the Seekers and that there would be no new admissions to the group. He announced that Sananda had changed his plans and instead of going to the mountains, they would all be picked up directly by Flying Saucer. Mm. After this meeting, Dorothy went on a three-day fast and two of her followers received orders to move in with her and take care of her. In early December... 
a meeting was held in which each person received their own message from Sananda, and the message said to remove all of the metal from their clothes and their person, because once they got into the flying saucer, the metal would burn them because it would superheat. So everyone ripped the zippers and eyelets out of their clothes. They discarded their watches and removed any metal from their bodies. Then, Just get a t-shirt. Why do they have to take... It's the 50s. They didn't have t-shirts in the 50s? (laughs) They did, but like everyone is literally thinks they might get picked up at any moment. So like whatever they're wearing, they were just like taking the zippers out. Like we got to be ready to go. Then I would have like an ascension fit. Yeah. Well, that's like Heaven's Gate. Yeah. This is like, you know, this is early ascension. Oh, they hadn't gotten the idea to all wear matching sweatsuits for the ascension. And matching shoes. No. Listen, that monochrome minimalist look is back. I know. Then, apparently, Bertha, who had tasted authority and liked it, spent the next two weeks trying to undermine Dorothy's authority in petty ways. In one instance, she was like, yeah, Sananda told you that, but Sananda didn't know. I'm going to tell you how it really is, because I'm God. She's such a Gretchen. She's such a Gretchen. When a newcomer came to the door, God turned her away. And Dorothy later said, quote, the newcomer was a member of two flying saucer clubs and was very important to us. You can't sit with us! Adding, it broke my heart to see her turned away. Because also keep in mind that they only have like 12 people. I don't and like And Dorothy Bertha. was like, I, she I was really important to us. Like she was in two flying saucer clubs. She could have been like a big get. Yeah. I know. Bertha's a bitch. Sorry. She, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Controversial opinion, but Bertha's <laughs> hot take. Then... On Friday night, Bertha shared the miracle that had been bestowed upon her. She was going to be the mother of Christ. No. And not only that, she was going to give birth to him right now. No. They took her into another room. She writhed around on like a bed for 15 minutes, and then she eventually calmed down. This is a quote from the book. Edna Post, who was just one of the members, as mystified as anyone, perhaps best expressed the feeling of the group. Quote, I don't know what it means. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. She's so annoying and exhausting. I know. I'm going to give birth to Christ right now. Uh, (laughs) This is the girl who's like, you're at a normal party. And she's like, should we do shots? (laughs) The giving birth to Christ performance didn't really land. So when Bertha went back in her trance. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, this is why you got to work out your your material before the big night. She didn't even have like a contingency plan for if someone was like where's the baby no but when she went back into her trance and spoke as god god told them that it was a lesson quote a demonstration of his original his originality (laughs) god told them it was a demonstration of my my originality like uncut doms it's just a demonstration of his originality (laughs) he was john safty's muse (laughs) He said it was a demonstration of his originality and his intention to run this show his own way. Finally, it was I don't a- think God talks like that. <laughs> I don't think he talks you don't like think God talks a like, member of Entourage. I was just going to say like um like the intro quote in the opening credit sequence of The Real Housewives. <laughs> like I'm God and I'm going to she's like holding an apple yeah. and I'm going to run this show my own way. <laughs> Finally, it was a joke, too. A joke played on all the group to jolt them out of their preconceived ideas and show them that anything could happen. Bertha did invent a hand signal for the Brotherhood of Sananda, which was placing your left palm on your right shoulder and bowing your head. That's Star Trek. (laughs) But Star Trek didn't exist yet. God, 
did sci-fi steal everything? This. That's what I'm saying. This is the beginning. I can't. I always say all sci-fi is just trying to be 2001 Mm -hmm. again. But I think even 2001 was just trying trying to to be be Dorothy Dorothy. and the Seekers. At some point, a cemetery plot salesman came to Dorothy's door (laughs) and she was like, oh boy, do you have the wrong place? I'm going to the sky when I die. (laughs) She brought him in and talked to him about the group's beliefs and he left promising to return. He did not. (laughs) On Friday... Well, he wasn't going to make any money there. (laughs) Yeah, true. On Friday, December 17th, sometime before noon, Dorothy received a phone call from someone calling themselves Captain Video. Captain Video (laughs) was the first ever sci-fi television series, which was on air at the time. And he told her that a flying saucer was going to land in her yard at 4 p.m. to pick them up. By noon, all five of the followers at the house were in the yard, ready to go. Oh my god, so early. It was obviously a prank. I know what yeah, what? We're like eating dinner at five. We're we're getting ba- raptured at five. <laughs> you guys are old. Um <laughs> it's a senior special. Yeah. <laughs> it was obviously a prank call, but they fully believed it. Aw. Dorothy, like, yeah, was just super excited. Um the press showed up at the house with television cameras, but the group turned almost everyone away. One reporter was let in, but was ignored unanimously, got tired of it, and left. <laughs> at four o'clock, they all waited anxiously in the yard. Ten minutes later, Dorothy went inside. Then the Loftheads went inside. By 5.30, everyone had gone inside. Aww. Apparently after that, Dorothy refused to talk about it. She did later channel a message from Sananda that said that, that like later that night, that said, when Dorothy gets picked up, she doesn't have to come back to Earth. And everyone was, like, super happy for her. So that kind of distracted from the failed pickup. And then she had them turn on Captain Video and scan it for coded messages. Finding none, the group eventually came to the conclusion that the whole thing had been a practice run. Practice run? Yeah. Not a prank? No. That, like, the Guardians had called them to, like, Drill them, basically. Oh, this is very Jonestown, but less sinister. Yeah, it is. That night, 20 to 25 people came to Dorothy's house. Most of them were teenagers. Dorothy let them in, and they came and sat and listened and talked about philosophy and their beliefs. On the 20th, Dorothy received a message that at midnight, the saucers would come and take them away before the cataclysm. Everyone readied themselves, and at midnight, nothing happened. No. Five minutes later, Bertha slash God announced that the plan was still the same. There was just a slight delay. At 12.30, there was a knock at the door. And everyone got all excited. And when Charles Lawhead went to answer the door, Dorothy was like, don't forget to ask him for the password. Like, they had a password with the Guardians for Mm -hmm. when they came to pick them up. But it was just some kids. Yuck. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Then, just kidding. Then... Some of your Kids, listen children. to this. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yay. <laughs> then God talked for a while. Kayla's rolling her eyes like into the back of her head. <laughs> it was very Liz Lemon eye roll in yeah. case anyone's wondering. Eventually giving the group the message that tonight they had been called together to witness a miracle. And eventually working his way up to the point that the miracle was the death and resurrection of Dorothy's husband. The miracle was Bertha is doing a one-woman show yeah. if anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, the, we're going to do a miracle tonight. It's going to be the death and resurrection of Dorothy's un-involved like, husband. <laughs> Dorothy's husband had went to bed at 9 p.m. 
and Bertha was like, he's going to die and be resurrected. Charles Lawhead and another member of the group went and checked on her husband three times. And oh, every time, kill him. No. he was just going to die. Yes. And every time they reported that he was very much alive. This is a quote. The miracle did not seem to be forthcoming. And finally, the creator, floundering for a solution, announced that the miracle had already occurred. I knew I almost Mr. Said that. Martin had died earlier that evening, but had been resurrected and was once again alive. This solution was so inadequate, however, that even the authority of the creator could not gain acceptance for it. It was quickly buried in silence. I was gonna say, Bertha's gonna say it already <laughs> happened. <laughs> Ugh. Do you want to channel God the creator and start a cult? Because I feel like you could. Yeah, watch. I'll do it right now. <laughs> I'm getting something. <laughs> okay, God says I'm the prettiest girl in school. Wow. And it's true. And he's right. I'm the only one in the school because it's God's school and I'm <laughs> the only one allowed. It's the, 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 the universal school. Mm-hmm. At 4.45 a.m., because, yeah, they were, like, up all night, all these nights. At 4.45 a.m., Dorothy received another message. The message basically said that the group had done such a good job and spread so much light that the cataclysm had been called off. And that's why they hadn't gotten picked up. But they want to go, right? Yeah. Or they just wanted to escape the cataclysm. Yes. But Dorothy's, like, doesn't have to come back. No. I mean, I think they do want to, like, meet the aliens. But I think that this was revelatory that there was, like, not a cataclysm now. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Okay. The group called the press and put out a press release. The next day, the house was overwhelmed with reporters. Sananda and their work was back in the news. I don't have time to describe all the pranks that neighbor kids pulled on them at this point, but there were a lot and they always fell for it. In one, they called and said, like, there's a flood in our bathroom and the aliens are here. And they all, like, put on their coats and walked over to the house and knocked on the door and the mother was like, go away. Oh, no. That's funny, but it's sad. On December 23rd, Dorothy channeled another important message. The message commanded the group to assemble at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve on the sidewalk in front of Dorothy's home and to sing Christmas carols. The group would be visited there by spacemen who would land in a flying saucer. And the message also said that this was to be released to the press at once. This is just Dorothy really wanted to go caroling with her friends. (laughs) She didn't have many friends. She didn't. So... They put together another press release, and they not only notified the press about the aliens, but they also invited the public to attend. Why? You're going to find out. Oh, my God. Are they going to get picked up by aliens? (laughs) Also the same day, a news article came out alleging that Charles' sister had petitioned to have him and his wife declared mentally unsound and confined to an institution. Mm -hmm. At 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, the the remaining believers gathered in front of Dorothy's house. The newspaper invitation brought out about 200 people. (gasps) The group stood out in the cold, frantically caroling, waiting for the (laughs) aliens to come. (laughs) (laughs) The aliens never came. This is an excerpt from an interview between a newsman and Dr. Lawhead, which we're going to read now. Kayla has not seen this before. I just want you to know that I can't do a transatlantic you don't have to who would you like to be the newsman or charles lawhead i feel like maybe you should be the newsman okay because i know what's happening okay okay go ahead dr lawhead i wanted to talk to you with reference to this business about you know you're calling the paper to say you were going to be picked up at six o'clock this evening uh i just wanted to find out exactly what happened 
Didn't you say they sent a message that you should be packed and waiting at 6 p.m. Christmas Eve? No. No? No, I'm sorry, sir. Weren't the spacemen supposed to pick you up at 6 p.m.? Well, there was a spaceman in the crowd with a helmet on and a white gown and whatnot. There was a spaceman in the crowd? Well, it was a little hard to tell, but of course at the last, when we broke up, why, there was very evidently a spaceman there because he had his space helmet on and he had a big white gown on. And what did he say? Did you talk to him? No, I didn't talk to him. Didn't you say you were going to be picked up by the spacemen? No. Well, what were you waiting out in the street for singing carols? Well, we went out to sing Christmas carols. Oh, you just went out to sing Christmas carols? Well, and if anything happened, well, that's all right, you know. We live from one minute to another. Some very strange things have happened to us, and... But didn't you hope to be picked up by the spacemen, as I understand it? We were willing. Uh Uh-huh. Well, how do you account for the fact that they didn't pick you up? Well, as I told one of the other newsboys, I didn't think a spaceman would feel very welcome there in that crowd. Oh, a spaceman wouldn't have felt welcome there. No, I don't think so. Of course, there may have been some spacemen there in disguise, you know, we couldn't see. I think, I think that's quite possible. When asked about it, the group told the press that either there were spacemen in the crowd in disguise or that they didn't want to land because they didn't want to cause a panic in the crowd. After the Christmas the aliens didn't come, everyone kind of dispersed and sulked off to different corners. Dorothy had a warrant out for her arrest, and she was threatened with involuntary commitment to a psychiatric facility, so she fled Chicago. Why? What was she? Why was she? Because it was the 50s, and they didn't appreciate her genius. And the warrant was just like, she's too good at it. I think it was for like a public nuisance for assembling everyone in the neighborhood. They were just singing Christmas carols. I know. The psychologists who infiltrated the group went on to write this book, When Prophecy Fails. After writing Prophecy Fails, Leon Festinger went on to write the book, A Theory of Cognitive Dissonance. Their experiences with Dorothy and the Seekers led them to create The Theory of Cognitive Dissonance, one of the largest psychological breakthroughs of the 20th century. It rules my entire life. Correct. (laughs) Charles and Lily continued to believe... Dorothy went on to found the Order of Sananda and Sanat Kumara, the names of two of the guardians. She started calling herself Sister Thedra. She moved to the Peruvian Andes for a while. She wrote several books about her spiritual beliefs and died in Sedona, Arizona in 1992. Some have said that her writings went on to influence members of Heaven's Gate. And that is the story of Dorothy Martin and the Seekers, The Christmas the Aliens Didn't Come. What a... (laughs) Wild <laughs> ride. Wow. I loved that. Some say that she they are the first UFO cult. Like the first UFO religion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know any earlier than that. I don't either. I just She did it. She really did it. I I just can never get past and like I had this with Rendlesham too, where it's like nobody is that creative. Yeah. Like if you got a team of writers together, sure. I think they could do it. But I don't think one like random military guy could like come up with all the writing yeah. systems that he saw. And I don't think Dorothy is like, like Little Housewife from Oak Park. Unless we're really underestimating her based on her. It's funny because I feel like in another on another timeline, she could be like a Margaret Atwood. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, she could be like an Ursula K. Le Guin if yeah. she had, like, had the infrastructure to support her creativity. Yeah, I wonder if, like, if... Here's a suggestion to all you channelers out there. If you ever get stuff like this, definitely write a book. Yeah, It will sure. get optioned. Yeah. And you can make a lot of money. And she did go on to write books about it as a religion. But it's interesting because, like, the impression that I got from the book is that 
they seem to be of the opinion, like the psychologists who infiltrated are of the opinion that it was like very much an outlet for her after her father's death. And mm -hmm. she like basically was unfulfilled at home and like her husband had a job and she just like was at home and didn't have a lot going on. And she like had all of this, like this was something that was hers. Like it was just hers. And she did, they are of the opinion that she really believed everything that she was hearing and that she really felt that she was channeling and she didn't proselytize. She didn't like try to convert anybody. She just like shared what she was learning. But when the Lofheads were introduced, they were like the, they yeah. had like the, the brand mind. So they were like, we got to advertise this. And it just went yeah, from there. They ruined it. It's interesting to me because it's like the first UFO religion and she was so genuine. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I feel like there's always a Charles and Lily who mm -hmm. like are the Ed and Lorraine Warren of yeah. ruining the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Marshall Applewhite and yeah. what's her name? Bonnie. Mm -hmm. T and Doe. T and Doe. We got to cover them sometime. We will. It's not really unsolved. This isn't really either, but it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. I love her. I love her. <laughs> In the book, When Prophecy Fails, they do say that many of these things that she said, like, came from contemporary writings. But to me, like, the synthesis of it is, I don't think the psychologists were, like, impressed by her, but I am. I am. Um, And if you want to, like, you, if you have time, you should, everyone should read that book because it's fucking hilarious. Like, the, like, the first part of the book is the story. And it's all written like that, where it's like, God apparently <laughs> commanded them to take a coffee break. And then it goes into an explanation of basically what happens when prophecy fails, the way that people will justify their beliefs. Because they got stood up like three or four different times, maybe five. Yeah. And every time they were like able to spin it, mm -hmm. double down. And it talks about essentially like the, the theory of cognitive dissonance and how you reconcile two things in your mind when very clearly one of them fails to be true. Yeah, it's like when you're not getting a text back from a guy and you're like, well, he's just busy. He doesn't yeah. have his phone with him. He's at work. Yeah. Even reality. And then you text him and you're like, how was your day? And he's like, good. I did literally nothing. And you're like, mm. you're like, he must have been. He must have just not been looking at his phone. Yeah. <laughs> the number of times. And I just love that it like led them to go on to create literally like one of the biggest psychological breakthroughs of the 20th century. That's, I had no idea that the end of this was going to be cognitive it's great. dissonance. It's great, right? I mean, cognitive dissonance is not great. No, but them like... I haven't enjoyed it once. developing the theory is <laughs> Yeah, that's so phenomenal. cool. I did not know the theory came from aliens. Right. But I love knowing that. Me too. There's a fun, a fun party fact for you guys. Next time, when you were like, oh, I don't know how to behave because of a pandemic and you're at a party, you can be like, did you know that the theory of cognitive dissonance <laughs> came out of an alien cult? I love that. I did tell You're someone welcome. the other day, did you know that Van Gogh was murdered by children? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. She was like, I was like, have you ever heard that? And she was like, no. And I was like, I hadn't either. But now we both know. Yeah, he probably was. He, I'm team he killed. Yeah. He was killed by children. That's the story of the Christmas the aliens didn't come. I loved that. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for reading a whole book. Yeah. Well, you know what? To be fair, I didn't read the part about cognitive dissonance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like when it's once it like got into the psychology, I was like, great. I loved that. Thank you. Me too. Um, it it is available in PDF form online for <gasps> free. So anyone that wants to read it, it's very funny. Oh my god. And there are like um, I mean, they literally go like 
meeting by meeting. So there are like, I mean, this could have been like a five part episode if we wanted to talk about all of the meetings. Oh my God. I just picked some of my favorites. Like I'm God now. (laughs) And God says we shouldn't break from the plan. And yeah, God said I was going to get white gold hoops. And then (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about this before, but the thing that I like love and think is so funny about these scenarios is like, we talked about it in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It's like, if you make something up and the rules are that it's all made up, then like anyone can pull a, well, I have a laser beam shield, so you can't hit me. And my laser gun is stronger (laughs) than yours. Like if you are operating in a made up world, anyone can usurp your position of power by just making up that they're like one level higher than you. Yeah, it's a slippery slope into, it was all black magic. (laughs) Yeah, but I do love Charles Lawhead being like, I think Bertha is off the beam. And her being like, "Um, God says not to talk shit about me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, God says, I heard that and shut up. (laughs) God, that is so funny. That's exactly what she did. Yeah. Thanks for listening. (sighs) Thank you for listening. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Fuck all the buck up. The smooches that didn't come. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz. And I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.